Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Love the horn. Love that addition to that. And that's what this is about, right? In a good way. We surrender it all. And remember, just to let you know, the Greek word for all is all. That's everything. So we've been called to this life to yield ourselves, to surrender ourselves. And that is a wonderful thing. And thank you guys for that reminder. And uh, very excited and pleased to be able to encourage you guys this morning. Um, to start things off this morning, let's all stand and we're going to declare the word of God together. We're going to look at Paul's declaration here to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. And uh, this will kind of set the tone for what we're going to get into this morning and just encourage us in the Lord. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And just Paul's saying this to the church in Ephesus, but guys, this is for us. This is what he would... If Paul were here, we would say, this is for you. If Jesus were here, we would say, this is for you. This is what I declare and what I desire for you and for all of us. So let's read this out loud together. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And the saints said, Amen. You may be seated. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I just want to let you guys know, sometimes, and I know the other men when other have come up at times, there's a soberingness. Sometimes there's a heaviness on a word given and what you're going to teach and share. But I've got to tell you tonight, you're going to be joyed to death. You're going to be excited to death. Um, as I've been praying and seeking the Lord this week, and just um, God is good. There's a lot going on that I've experienced in my life over the past few weeks and in this church that I've seen, that I'm excited about, that I'm encouraged about. So I just want you to know what you see in and through me today. I hope you see this is Jesus for you. Jesus is excited. He is rejoicing. He is experiencing joy with what God is doing in and among us and through us. And so today is just going to be, again, just God's timing on things. When I get to come up here at times to be blessed with this opportunity to encourage you to kind of be a cheerleader and to bring some words of exhortation and affirmation. And so, you know, you're going to see, as I always do, I'm Italian anyway, so my hands are going and I kind of get a sense of excitement. But I, there's a really a lot in me of joy and really excited about what God is up to. Amen. I know if you all sensed it or seen it or experienced it lately. doesn't mean my life hasn't had some trials and frustrations and struggles. But in the midst of all of it, I've seen God do amazing things over the past few weeks in and through this church and in individual lives. And I just wanted to exhort us about that and encourage us about that because there's something special he has in store. And I love even how Greg prayed. I just love how the Holy Spirit works through the songs that were picked, through even his prayer that really my heart today is for uniquely for us as family, for us here at Gateway. If you're visiting here, thank you for being here. We're so glad you're here. But today I want you to kind of hear our heart as a family. I'm one of the many shepherds here, and my heart is for this church, to lead this church, to shepherd this church, to love, serve, protect it. Um, but my heart today is going to be for us here as Gateway family, but also the family abroad. But it's going to be more an intimate exhortation for us. Uh, many of you may be from different churches and maybe here for military and you're only here for a few weeks and we're so glad you're here. And maybe you can take this word, this exhortation, this encouragement back to where you are. Uh, but I'm very excited about what God's been up to. And through the scriptures we just said, 
Paul is exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He's talking to the church here in Ephesus. And so how do we do that? How do we first start walking in this way? How would Paul say for us to be able to walk in this way? And that has to do with our sanctification. We walk in a manner worthy of God through the process of sanctification, us being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to give us a little review because I love what God's done the past few weeks here. Three weeks ago, Charlie came before us and challenged us to stop trying to love God with a divided heart. That was the challenge for us three weeks ago. He brought before us and said, are we looking to the things of the world to satisfy? Is our flesh governing our lives? Are we having our own way, trusting in ourselves more than God? Who or what is the object of our love and our worship? We were challenged in that. We were really challenged to look to the Lord as our all in all, our one satisfaction, everything that we need. That helps us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Two weeks ago, Greg came up in James chapter 1 and brought a wonderful message about journeying through the trials of life. How do we respond to God in a biblical way through trials and sufferings that we experience? And James 1 lays it out wonderfully for us. And he encouraged us that we are to approach these things in joy, with perseverance and endurance. That we are to seek the wisdom from God in faith, trusting that God knows all these things that are going on, that he's conforming us to his image in the midst of these trials. And that we can look to the Lord for everything in the midst of these things. That helps us walk in the manner worthy of our calling, doesn't it? That was a part of sanctifying us and conforming us to his image. And last week, William brought us back to Nazareth, was his title. Took us back to a setting in Jesus' time in, in, in his home in Nazareth. And he challenged us, is there anything that's hindering God in our lives to move in a miraculous way? You know, people back in his town were looking at Jesus as, you know, Joseph's son and Mary's son, the carpenter's son who, you know, builds wooden tables. But do we see Jesus in that way as just the carpenter who builds wooden tables? Or as he put up on the screen, do we see Jesus as the creator of the universe who made the wood, right? So looking at Jesus rightly impacts our faith and impacts our relationship with the Lord. And that also helps us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So I bring those up as kind of like a little nice monthly review because God has all of those sermons for a purpose. Every one of those are to encourage us and edify us and exhort us and to help us mature and conform to his image. And all of those as a package deal to walk in sanctification is a part of a bigger thing. Those are for us individually, but all of those sermons and what it did in and through us is for a bigger picture. And it's something that we need to be reminded of. And I just, again, I'm getting excited about, how, as God is at work, that all of these areas will impact us. I believe the scripture is going to show us very clearly the condition and how we work among ourselves here, corporately and individually in both ways. That it's more than just about us. Because we could take all those last three weeks and go home and say, how do I fix myself? How do I fix myself? How is it about me, about me? And I'm so excited about the bigger picture here of what God wants to do in and through us. That we have to be aware, as followers of Jesus, that our decisions and our behaviors, our lives, our daily lives, it's not just about us. There's so much more to it. And I think the Lord is wanting us to have just an overall reminder again, an awareness that God has something else in store in this kingdom life for us. And it's very, very strategic. Okay? This morning we talked in our Sunday school class at the College of Career. I feel like the Lord was leading us to do a couple weeks on spiritual warfare and just where we are. In Genesis 3.15, when God told the serpent, one day one seed is going to come who you're going to bruise his heel, but the seed is going to come and what? Crush your head. From Genesis 3.15 till now, at that moment, 
Satan had a scheme and a plan and a strategic thing in place to do what he does. Y'all believe that? From that point on, Genesis 3, right there in the beginning, he came to kill, steal, and destroy that seed and anyone else connected to the seed. Well, if that's the case for Satan, then certainly we can be aware there's a cosmic overall kingdom eternal plan that God had in mind. And guess what? Each and every one of you in here is a follower of Jesus is strategically a part of that plan. Amen? We've got to start seeing things rightly beyond ourselves and what God is preparing us for and specifically as a local body. So as we see here how we walk in this way, as Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus, how do we walk in humility and gentleness and patience and showing tolerance and understanding that we are one body called for one Lord, one hope, one baptism? So what is the purpose of that? Why? Why do we need to look at this strategically? Go to Ephesians chapter 3, next page, like literally in your Bible, maybe the page before. And I want to remind us of a passage here that, again, as I was reading this week, just really stood out and got me really excited again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul is saying again here to the church in Ephesus, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. Here it is. So that. Okay, we all know what the word so that. That means everything that preceded before has to do with the so that. So he's saying here, God had saved me. He purposed me. He gave me a calling and a kingdom vision to reach the Gentiles and tell them about the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring the gospel so people can experience salvation. So that. What's the purpose of all that? So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the who? Church. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The King James says the principalities and powers. I mean, guys, you see the significance of what we just read here. Us, the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. God is his infinite wisdom and infinite sovereignty has used us and is using us, the church, to be the conduit of God's glory and wisdom. I'm going to let that sink in a second. We really need to contemplate that reality. Us, the body, God in his sovereignty, is using us to reveal the manifold word there means his many varieties, his multifaceted wisdom, all that God is. And obviously in context, Paul's saying here is, I want the principalities and powers to know, the rulers and the heavenly realms, the forces of darkness to know, My power is in such a way that it can reach the Jew and the Gentile. There's everyone's equal at the cross. Everyone can accept salvation. Everyone can come to the Lord. And this salvation is for all. And and that declaration of seeing Jews and Gentiles, and all the Gentiles in here said, Amen, which should be most of us. This scripture was for us. We are Gentiles. God brought the gospel to us to declare to the principalities and powers, this is who God is. This is what he came to do. And this is the authority that we walk in. But how is he making it known? Through us. Through the church. The NIV Study Bible in their commentary had a neat little thing in here about this. It said, it is a staggering thought that the church on earth is observed, so to speak, by these spiritual powers. And to the degree that the church is spiritually united, it portrays to the principalities and powers the wisdom of God. You guys ever thought of yourself that way? But that's the reality of this. As we are spiritually united in Christ, that's why I loved even what Dave said. I didn't know what he was going to express. I knew he was talking about the deacon stuff, but, you know, 
our call and what God is doing here and acts of service and checking our schedules and us being together as a family and a body. This speaks directly to that, that as we are spiritually united, we are going to portray and display something to the principalities and powers. So how are we spiritually united? Go to Ephesians chapter 4 again, over to verse 15. This is all getting to a little just family exhortation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, just a little further down. Now, this chapter in Ephesians 4, God revealed he's talking about some gifts in the body, some offices within the body of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In verse 12, that they were given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, as David was talking about, to the building of the body in Christ. Right now, you guys see this? Ephesians 4.11 is right here. You guys see that? That's me. (laughs) I'm on stage pastorally in my teaching gift, in my pastor gift. I'm called to this office, and I am right now equipping you for the work of service, for the building of the body in Christ. Isn't that cool? We're seeing scripture right there on display being acted out. Okay? That's biblical. So over here, Paul's continuing to encourage us. In verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Guys, these two scriptures are huge for us. If you really grasp this and just not see it as, okay, just a little add-on to the, uh, the gifts thing. Look at this again. We are to grow up in him. Who's the head? Christ. This reminded me every time. It's a little sidebar joke, but I love Big Fat Greek Wedding. Love that movie. And there's a scene in there where the, you know, the, we know the Greek culture and the man's the head of the house, you know, and those kind of things. And she goes, what am I supposed to do, mom? You know, the girl's like, the man's the head of the house and dad doesn't listen to me. Y'all remember what the mom responded? She goes, the man may be the head, but the woman is the neck. And the neck can turn the head any way it wants to. (laughs) Now, let me put a disclaimer. That's not a biblical precedent. (laughs) Just kidding. No. But what I want to give here and just say is, Jesus is our head. He's the neck. He controls it all. There is no differential like Jesus is the head and CJ's working down here as the neck going, I'm going to control God and tell him what. No. In the spiritual realm of the head, Jesus is from here up. Amen? He, we have to first start there. He's the head. He calls the shots. He's the mind. He's everything. And what he says, we do. But in that, here, I love this. From whom the whole building, and you construction carpenter guys, this is just so cool. Literally in the Greek, that's fitted and held together means we are framed. Y'all see this. I'm looking across right now and I see, you know, pieces of wood and and different foundation pieces, and I'm seeing all of us being knitted together and framed and jointly held together, bonded by God for a building, a framework that he's constructed for his purposes. And guys, we have to see each other this way. We have to recognize what Scripture says about us, because that impacts how we what? Reach those out of those doors. It has a direct impact. So we are framed together, jointly held together. I love this because it literally means a spiritual fusion And the word fusion means, listen to this, merging of diverse, distinct, or separate elements into one unified whole. Isn't that a beautiful description of us? I mean, we are the fusion of God, that he has put us together, framed us together, bonded us together, jointly fitted us 
for his eternal purpose. And look at the end of this. He causes each individual part. We're all here. You're all little body parts. We're all connected for the growth of the whole body, for the building up of itself in love. That phrase is connected to something Jesus said in John 17, does it not? How it directly impacts what we do out there. Y'all see that? If we are connected and bonded in love and we're building ourselves up and what's being elevated is we build ourselves up and frame together. Love, love, right? And what did Jesus say? They're going to know I exist and I'm real and my father's real by what? Our love for one another. It's a direct connection here. So as we recognize who we are and how we've been connected and our part individually in this body and how God has joined us together, that's why I love the whole thing about abiding in the vine. Jesus is the vine, right? He's the vine. And what happens is when we're a dead branch, and if you guys have ever done pruning and stuff, you take the, the vine that's alive and, and has life and nourishment, and you cut out a piece of it like that. And then you take the dead branch or something, and you what? You insert it. And then you wrap it up, and what happens? The nutrients and the life from the vine that's alive does what? Feeds the dead one. Guys, that's what Jesus does in us. That's what we are a part of. We're grafted into him and in turn grafted and connected with each other. Isn't that amazing? I'm hoping y'all are seeing my excitement (laughs) and how excited I am to see what God's doing here and continuing to do and for this next phase of what God has called us to here at Gateway. Go, um, let me see where I am. Okay, go to Romans 12. I want to do this briefly. Very familiar passages. This is how God continues to reveal his unity and how this is played out. Very familiar passages. I'm going to hit it a little bit here and there. Just to give you some encouragement and bring this to an end. Romans chapter 12, very popular chapter about our giftings and what God has done in the church. Paul's talking to the church in Rome. Romans 12, verse 3. All right. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And we're all like, yep. Again, this is important why he starts this. He's like, don't be proud. Don't think much about yourself because you're one of what? Many. You're a one small part to this bigger deal. So you may think you're the foundation of the house and somebody up there is a small joint in this, but all of it has to be there for my purpose for the whole building. So don't think much about yourself, but to think so as to have a sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the same members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Literally, the members there means body, a limb, a body part. Okay? So just get that visual about of this. But the beauty, just as Dave said, we're not all called to do the same thing. There are men in this church right now that are in your laps, in that bulletin, that God may call forth, hopefully, to serve in what? This function as a deacon. Doesn't mean you're any less than if you're not. Ladies that aren't called to that function doesn't mean you're less down in your service to the Lord or function in the church or your part here. It's just a unique body part of what God has called us to. And it's needed for the body to be the body. And I love this as he continues on. He says, so as we're one, we're individually members. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us must exercise those accordingly. And I'm not going to go through it, but there's gifts of prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation and giving, gifts of leadership and mercy. So those gifts in 6, 7, and 8, every single one of you, when you were born as a part of your spiritual DNA, you have some of these. 
Okay? You have no choice on these. That's a whole other teaching. I'm going to give you a little snippet. Romans 12 not in, has nothing to do with you, except that you recognize what God has already done in you. You guys see that? This is a spiritual DNA that you were just born with or God puts in you on his own. You can't go, hmm, I want, I'm going to have that gift of teaching or I'm going to have that gift of service. Now, you can ask the Holy Spirit to cultivate some of these in your life, but this is his choice in you. This is what he does. But what I love about this is they're all called to exercise those. As you can tell, I don't exercise a lot. I should more, but I'm getting there. Jason, I have a lot of respect for this man. He's bulk up and he's very in good shape and he whoops me on the basketball court. But because he works out a lot, he's strong. It's hard to move him in the paint. Okay? It is. And he'll come in there and just, you know. But, but see, that's a spiritual example here. He exercises, he works out, and there's a result. There's an effect there, playing sports or living long, everything. Same thing here, guys. We have to exercise the gifts that God's given us. And as, I, as Dave said, we need to proactively move in them. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, is there ways that I can operate in these? Is there opportunities in the church, outside the church, in my family, at my school, at my job, to operate in these so that you are evident in my life? So we need to exercise those. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 12. I hope you guys are just seeing the overall picture here. What I'm trying to encourage us with is the body. We all have a part. All have a function. And this is just, I'm encouraged to see what's coming. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Little different aspects of gifts. Just want to highlight God's purpose in them. Um, in verse 4 of 12, I'm going to skip down to that one. Paul's saying here to the church in Corinth that there are varieties of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit, varieties of ministries, same Lord, varieties of effects, but the same God who what? Works all things in all persons. There's that all again. Another translation says that he empowers those to do these things. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And literally, guys, like we can look at 4, 5, and 6 and put the word manifold in there. It's the same Greek root word. Manifold giftings, manifold ministries, manifold effects. God wants to reveal himself in a unique way in so many different varieties in and through all of us. And he does these gifts through the Holy Spirit as he sees fit, when he sees fit. I'm just going to read through them. Wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing experience, various kinds of tongues, interpretations of tongues. Look at 11. All of those. Holy Spirit led. Holy Spirit driven. Holy Spirit initiated. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things out, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Just as he determines it. God is at work. He's in charge. He's the head. So he can tell the body things that need to be done, and reveal himself in such a way. So again, I want to bring this up just to say the Holy Spirit's at work there and that God may use us in a way individually to be able to be, have his word revealed and his power revealed in and through the Holy Spirit through these. From verse 12 on, I don't want to get into it again just because of time, but what he, Paul gets into here is encouraging the church in Corinth to see the value of their part. <laughs> He gets in here and says, the eye is not going to look at the foot and go, I don't need you. The arm is not going to look at the other body part and go, I don't need you. What he's saying is here, we all have value. We all have a part. We don't compare, right? We do not compare gifts. We do not compare and look at each other like, well, so-and-so has a gift of this, and I don't have a gift of that, and they seem a little more gifted than this, and I can't do You don't do that, because who gave the gifts? God did. Therefore, if God gave the gifts, and you're comparing and being a little distraught or critical of, who are you being critical of? Him. He's put those in you. He's made you the way he is in a unique way. 
So in 12 on, he just kind of says, guys, in verse 18, I'll give you this one. Let me do 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, look at this, just as he desired. The head called the shots to say, here's what I'm at work, here's what I need to do. Look at uh, 12, verse 26 and 27. Yeah, I'm going to finish these two in this part. Very important. This is why I say it's connected. It's not just about us. And if one member suffers, who suffers? All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I want to read this quick little thing by Sproul, just an example. He just kind of surmises it. R.C. Sproul says this. The church is one, although the worshiping community consists of the church militant, which are those who are still on the earth, the church triumphant, those who have died and entered glory, and those on earth, the church appears in its local congregations, each one a microcosm of the church as a whole. How many churches are in Montgomery? How many churches are in Montgomery? Biblically, and like God, we we need to respond biblically. There's one church. There's one global church. There's one United States Church of America. There's one, you know, Alabama church. There's one River Region church. There's one Montgomery church. One. In many congregations, local fellowships. There was one church in Philippi, one church in Ephesus, one church in Colossae, one church in Corinth, right? All these letters. But they met what? In individual homes. God put them all together in little pockets, but one church. That's key for us to even understand as we look at this, to see our part. The church on earth is one in Christ despite all the congregations and denominations. He says the New Testament assumes that all Christians, and I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad he's reading it so I don't have to just come out and say this because it's a little bold. This is what R.C. Sproul says, and I disagree with him. Okay. The New Testament assumes that all Christians will share in the life of a local congregation, worshiping in the body, accepting its nurture and discipline, and sharing its ministry and witness. Christians who refuse to join other believers disobey God and spiritually impoverish themselves. And that's the last, that's the last name is bold, but I wholeheartedly agree. Why? Can you please put up in Hebrews 10? Hebrews 10. Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10. <laughs> Did y'all just miss it? I'll read it out loud. If y'all don't have it, it's okay. No worries, dude. It's like the sword drill now. I feel like I'm back at Calvary Baptist. Go. Okay, hold on. Hebrews 10. Okay, got it. I wanted us all to read it so you guys could all get it in you and see and believe. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 23. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. There we go. All right, let's all say it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Oh, I said 225. Okay, sorry. He who is faithful. Sorry, guys. I thought it was 325. You had 325. Oh, my goodness. Let's see how quick on the draw he is. This is important. This is a scripture we need to know and quote. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Leave that one up. Again, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging this because the day drawing near is what? Christ's return. And he's like, guys, before he comes back, we need to build each other up. We need to be that frame, that building, that connection, that body, that family, so that when we're built up and together and edified and exalted and working together, it affects those outside the door, affects those who don't know Christ, it affects the lost. So before Jesus returns, he deserves the reward of the suffering. So we need to do what we've been called to do. And we can't do it living in isolation. Amen? And guys, there's people out here that are unchurched, believers, Christians out there that say, I don't need it. I don't need to be a part of fellowship. I don't need to hang out. I mean, I can hang out with my Christians at the ball field. I can be with my Christian friends at the soccer fields. I can be with my Christian friends at work or at the lake. And they do not see the value of this. Now, are they believers and love God? Of course. But they don't see the value of this very important oikos, this dwelling place that God has said is important. Do you see the value of it? I want to hear it. Do you see the value? If there's anything as a shepherd of the church I want us to see is the value of this. We have to. Because look what we've been called to be. We are the manifold, we are to display the manifold wisdom of God. On the sermon thing back there, it says, on my title is Gateway, a conduit of God's manifold wisdom. We are locally here. This local fellowship, we've been called to be that, you know, wire, that conduit, that thing that the display of God goes through to the world and to the principalities of powers. And guys, there's friends of ours, family, who are believers, who, don't, who look around and say, I don't need this. I don't need to connect with them. I don't need to be discipled. I, I've got my other things. I, I love the Lord. And then you can be a voice and say that that's not what God says. You need to be a part of what he's doing globally and locally for the sake of revealing himself to a lost and dying world and to tell the principalities and powers, you're done. There's victory. This is what God came to do. And I think Hebrews 10, 25, it's overwhelmingly clear. And it's not a condemnation thing. It's like, see the importance of us being together. And what God can do in and through that. So my whole heart in this in closing before we have wonderful communion. And guys, this is a divine signpost of that unity. This is the signpost where we all come together in unity. Down that aisle saying we are one in Christ. We are one body coming down to declare Jesus is Lord. His death, his sacrifice, his resurrection did it for us. It conquered it all. And we're coming down and displaying that and revealing that and showing the example of that through this table. And that's the beauty of it and what we're seeing here. But my whole heart in this is that God is preparing a man for us. Is he not? Amen. To come and to shepherd us and to lead us. He's preparing a man to be my new boss. And let's just get real. We're family, right? I'm excited. I have a new man coming to not only be my boss, but I'm a pastor here, but I'm also a what? Meh. You know. I'm a sheep. That was a pretty bad one. I may sound more like a goat, but anyway. Don't want to do that one. But anyway, I'm a sheep. So, I mean, I've been getting excited. I mean, seriously, we've been praying, and as, as Greg said, praying over there in the mornings and praying here on Wednesday nights. I've been getting, I'm stoked. I am so excited about what God is doing. I cannot wait to see who my new boss is. I cannot wait to see who my new pastor is. I cannot wait to see a man I could come alongside and co-labor with and shepherd together and struggle together and laugh together and cry together and get in the trenches together and get dirty together. You know what I'm saying? That's shepherding. And I can't wait for that. And in turn, I can't wait for him to come in with his, guess what? He's a body part, right? He's not a player on the top. He's one part of all of us that God is going to bring in strategically 
to fill a void and fill a gap for us to be the whole body gateway needs to be. Do you guys see that? He's no bigger. No, he just has a function. And so God's going to bring him in in a strategic way with unique giftings, unique vision possibly. That never changes, right? I could take that off the wall, God willing, and drive to every church in the city that's evangelical and believes the Bible is the word of God inerrant and everything else. Walk in and say, Pastor, do you believe this? And what are they going to say? Yes, this would be the vision of the church. That's our vision. That's our focal point. But God may bring a man in with some unique strategies to fulfill that. Right? And guess what? We have to be prepared in our giftings, in our little part of the body, in our little function, number one, to lay down our agendas. Okay? To lay down what we think he should be or what we think he should bring in. Got to lay that down. Because when he walks through these doors, who led him here? God did. The Holy Spirit led this man here. God chose him. So if there's any criticalness toward that, we're going to have to be critical toward the Lord, trusting it's him. But what I want to put before you, this is exciting. God may bring in unique strategies and visions and stuff, and we all get behind it because he has you in this place. If you're here and you feel like this is where God has you, and this is where you're supposed to be embedded and engaged and invested in, every one of you strategically are part of that knittedness for him to fit properly. Y'all see that? Because if, if the wrong guy came in and came a part of it, then what? It's disjointed. We're not going to be able to function properly. But God is bringing a man to us to lead us forth, to continue on what God's giving here, new strategies, new things, and I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Because I see what's here. I love you guys. I invest in you guys. You've invested in me. We're family. I see God working in your lives. I see how you love the Lord and you desire to serve him and reach the lost. We're reaching campuses. We're reaching high schools. You're reaching your jobs. I get excited as a shepherd, and there is no greater joy than to see you guys walking in your purpose and your giftings. Nothing on earth better than that. And I've had children and married to an amazing woman. And beyond all that, it's seeing my kids and my wife walking in their destiny in God. And that's why I get excited for you. You have a destiny and purpose here. And if you're praying and hanging around to see who the new guy is, and, well, we'll see how he is, and then we'll decide whether or not we want to stay. Well, so be it. I mean, we're human. But I want to encourage you and say, Come talk. I'm excited. God is at work. There's things he wants to do. And there's going to be some unique things that God may bring in through this man that we can get on board, get excited about, and say, Lord, what's next? Amen? We're not done. We are so far from done. There is so much the Lord wants to do in and through this body. And it started with Brother Olive, went to Gary Sanders, went to our Brother Allen. Every one of those men had a specific destiny and strategic vision for this church that God used them for. Right? And now he's moving to the next one. Same thing gets accomplished. But God may have some very unique things. But you have to be a part of it. Not on the sidelines, engaged in it. And God has that in store. If you will please stand. I want to encourage you with this scripture before we take communion as the worship team comes up. I hope you're encouraged today. I know I still am. I'm excited, joyful, knowing your part, knowing the strategies. And here's what God desires from us, you guys, is we get ready to... Enjoy the Lord's Supper and come together in unity. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are fragrance to Christ, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing.
God, every one of us in there, our giftings and our personalities, how God made us. To the, in, the, in the nose, nostrils of God, we're like, that's what God desires from us, to just hear and smell the aroma of gateway, the aroma of you individually, that we together have a unique scent and aroma to God. As we work together, sew together, encourage each other, we all come together like any cologne or perfume. They put together all these unique blends of smells, and what do they get? This incredible scent. That's who we are before the Lord. You guys see that? So as we even come together here, you may have to do some business. Examine your heart. You may need to repent of some things. Go before the Lord. There may be someone in here that you have an ought against, that you haven't made right, a relational issue. We want to come to this table pure, understanding what it represents, that God's body was broken for us on the cross, that his blood was shed for us, and that we come and do this in remembrance of his sacrifice and the victory that we have, the newness of life, the old creation is gone, the new has come. And again, I want you guys again to have the mindset that we come here knowing what Jesus has done for us. So he has set us free, that we are now one as we come down this aisle. That's what I love about us coming together. There's a sense of unity to this table that reveals to the Father who we are and what he has done for us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your joy that I got to experience your joy this week and how excited you are about what you're doing here in your place, that you are the head of Gateway. And God, I pray for each one of us in here that as we look to you as our Savior, our Lord, our King, we thank you, God, for your salvation. We thank you for your redemptive work on the cross, that you took the wrath of your Father upon yourself for us, for the penalty of our sin, that you asked us to come to you in faith and to place our faith and trust in you, Lord, to come to you. And I thank you, God, that there are those in this room that have, as this table is for those who have a relationship with Jesus. And we thank you, God, what this represents. That we come, we remember what you did for us, that you paid the ultimate sacrifice of your life. And in turn, we can walk in authority and power, walk in the giftings and the callings you have in our lives because of what this table represents. And then we can live spiritually united and declare to a lost and dying world that Jesus is Lord. So work in our hearts now, God. Examine us, convict us, bring us to a place of repentance and purity. We look to you for all of that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.